Wow, there's more than one verse to that song. (laughs) I bet Beth is probably the only one in the room that knew all of those words. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, in the summer of 1776, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia at the Pennsylvania State House, later to be known as Independence Hall. On June 7th, 1776, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia stood and read this resolution. He said, Resolved that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. So the die was cast, and then on June 11th, that same year, a committee was formed with the express purpose of drafting a document uh, that would formally sever the ties with the British colonies uh, once and for all, the colonies from the British uh, Empire once and for all. Uh, The committee included common names like Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, um, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania, John Adams, Massachusetts, of course, Roger Sherman of Connecticut, and Robert Livingston of New York. So after they drafted this document on July 1st, Congress reconvened, and it looked kind of like this. this is an artist's rendition of it, of course. The following day, the Lee Resolution for Independence was adopted. Twelve of the 13 states agreed. Then late on the afternoon of the 4th of July, 1776, the document known as the Declaration of Independence was officially adopted as the church bells rang out throughout the city of Philadelphia. Then on August 2nd, little civics lesson here, the Declaration of Independence was signed. Now, the, de- the Declaration is a, a parchment. We've got a picture of it here. I'm sure you've seen this before. 24 and a half inches by 29 and 3 quarters inches, signed by all the delegates in attendance, the first being John Hancock, of course, because he was the president of the Congress at that time. He used a bold signature. Everybody knows that. John Hancock, that bold signature in the center below the text. And then as, a, as according to um, custom, the other delegates began to sign um, at the right below the text. We got a, uh, a close-up of the signatures. Uh, what's significant about this is that the signatures are arranged according to the geographical location of the states that these guys represented. New Hampshire, of course, the northernmost, and Georgia being the southernmost. So now the Declaration, the document known as the Declaration of Independence, has become one of our nation's most cherished, uh, cherished symbols of liberty. Um, Tomorrow, we as Americans will celebrate Independence Day. This year as a nation, we celebrate how many years? 246 years of independence and freedom. Now, as Americans, we have a lot to be thankful for. Now, I know also as Americans, we complain about just about everything. But as Americans, we've got a lot to be thankful for, especially when we compare us to just about any other country in the world. Now, it's one thing to live in a nation where freedom exists, But it's an entirely different thing to actually live in freedom. See, we can live in the land of the free, home of the brave, and what Abraham Lincoln described as our unalienable rights, yet we can still still not experience the freedom that God has described for us and that God has in store for us, the freedom that God wants us to experience. So now we're going to talk about two things this morning. We're going to talk about that freedom that God gives us. And who we are because of who God is. But we're also going to talk about that responsibility. We're going to talk about our actions in freedom. What do our actions really play out? How do they play out? What do we do on a daily basis? What is our freedom in action 
look like? And is that pleasing to God? So we're going to start with a couple things right here at the top. Number one, we have to know that we are declared free. God has declared you free. What does the Bible say about freedom in Christ? It says an awful lot about our freedom in Christ. So let's spend a couple minutes talking about it because this is our Independence Day, our, our freedom kind of Sunday. John 8.36 says this, So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I picked this version because of, of, of the way it's phrased here. Uh, that phrase, makes you free, is actually one singular Greek word. Means The word free means to be liberated. It means to be delivered. But the key to that word, to our understanding of it, how it directs our actions, that word free means exempt. What are you exempt from if you're free? Well, as Christians, we're exempt from sin, death, and the power of the devil. And more to the point, we're exempt from copying and being conformed to the patterns of this world. That's what it means. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. It's a complicated word that makes you free. Eleutherao is the Greek word. Eleutherao. And it means, um, well, I don't know how much I want to get into this. Well, um, welcome back, by the way. Sorry if I'm giving you both barrels here. The word if, okay, so it's, um, the, it makes that verb in the, what's called the subjective mood. So it means it's conditional. So it means if we accept Christ and we come into his glory and we turn our lives over to Christ, then you will be made free. That's why it says the Son makes you free. That's what happens to us. That's the action of it, right? Depending on the circumstances. It's a prodosis versus the apodosis of the verb. Liberated, exempt from sin, death, and the power of, of, of the devil. Exempt from the patterns, copying and being conformed to the patterns of this world. That's what free means. Now we think it means liberty, yes, absolutely. We think it means delivered, yeah, but you know what? It should also direct our actions. Being free in Christ should change who we are and how we view everything. It should change the lens that we look at everything that happens to us, everything that happens into the world. We should look at it through that lens. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Galatians 5.1 goes on and says this, We have freedom now because Christ made us free. And it says, so stand strong in that freedom. Don't go back into slavery again. Because right? we're exempt from that. Don't go back into that. It doesn't belong to you anymore. You're not a part of that anymore. You're not a part of the patterns of this world anymore. Breaking that down in simplest terms, we have freedom now, it says, and this is why? Because Christ made us free. It's the same verb, by the way, Eleutherao. Christ, because Christ made us free. So what? So stand strong in that freedom. Let that freedom be the lens that you look at everything else in the world, everything that comes at us in this country. Like I said, we complain about a lot of things. But let that be your lens, that freedom in Christ, that freedom that Christ made in you. And then what? And then don't go back into that slavery again. 
Don't go back to being a part of sin, death, the power of the devil, or being conformed to the patterns of this world. In other words, Ephesians 4.17, like I said, welcome back. Ephesians 4.17 says this, As followers of the Lord, I order you to stop living like stupid, godless people. I'm not making that up. That is the, com- the contemporary English version of Ephesians 4.17. I have no idea how many times I've liked to have said that to people. Just stop, right? I order you to stop living like stupid, godless people. Are we being conformed to that? Or does the freedom that we experience in Christ change who we are? Does it change our reaction? Does it change our words? Does it change our attitude? Is it the lens that we look at through everything else in the world? Everything that comes our way. Or are we kind of doing what he's saying? And but look how it says here. I order you to stop. In order to stop doing something, you've already got to be doing it. So Paul says, you are doing these things. Stop. Right? Later he's going to beg us to stop. But right now he's ordering us to stop living like stupid, godless people. So that's how we are declared free. So now we talked about a lot of things we shouldn't be doing. Let's talk about the purpose of our freedom. Let's talk about some of the things that we should be doing because of Christ making you free. Right? Eleutherao, you have been made free in Christ. I said a moment ago, the Bible has a, a lot to say about the freedom we have in Christ. What's the Bible say about the freedom in Christ? It's got more verses than you can read in an afternoon. But there's a purpose behind it, is what these verses tell us. Well, what is that purpose? So let's look at Galatians 5.13. It says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. And it says this, though. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses. So that's what the not to do. But the what to do? Serve each other through love. Serve each other through love. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Don't let this freedom be an opportunity. That freedom means you're exempt from having those opportunities to indulge yourself in selfish impulses. They don't matter to us anymore. What matters to us is glorifying God in that freedom. What matters to us is bringing people to Christ in that freedom. What matters to us is looking for opportunities to share God's simple words by our actions. Our freedom, our actions in that freedom. That we are exempt, we don't have to do that anymore. But we're choosing to do that, right? But you don't have to indulge in your selfish impulses. He says, just don't do it. Well, what are selfish impulses? What does that look like? Well, it's the things that we think, the things that we do, the things that we say, how we react to people um, who don't think the way you think or don't agree with what you uh, have in mind. We have differing opinions. How do we go about that? Put that back in a second, please, Jared. How do we go about that? Do we serve each other through love or are we indulging in our selfish impulses? Are we just trying to be right? Are we just trying to win an argument? Are we just trying to feel good about something? Or are we actually glorifying God through the freedom that Christ has made in you? We claim God is on our side. And when we do that, we sound like those people that Paul's talking to in Ephesians 4.17. Stop sounding like those people. Because why we're indulging on ourselves on, on our selfish impulses. 
2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, and the Spirit lives inside of you. Greater is He that's living in me than the power of our enemy. The Spirit is in you, there is freedom. That freedom means you're exempt from all those other actions, all those other ideas. We don't have to fall into that category of the people that Paul's talking to in Ephesians 4.17. When he says, stop what you're doing. So how are we supposed to stop acting like that? Start carrying ourselves in a different way. 2 Timothy, Paul's talking to Timothy in verse uh, chapter 1-7. It says, The Spirit of God gave, uh, I'm sorry, the Spirit God gave us does not make us afraid. His Spirit is a source of power and love and self-control. Self-control, a source of power, love, and self-control. We don't always see a lot of self-control when there's conversations going on when we don't agree with other people or people have different opinions of us. We don't have a lot of self-control. It's actually the only time in the New Testament that that Greek word is used for that translation of self-control. It means self-control, it means discipline. But it really means sound mind, sound way of thinking. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we act like that? Well, we have a sound mind when we go about these conversations. So as we celebrate our 246th anniversary... We need to have sound mind. Sound mind's not all that common, like I said. So if you're completely full of yourself and your ideas and your principles and claiming that God is on your side or that you're on God's side taking the Bible in all sort of convoluted ways, I'd like you to bring you to one of my favorite quotes of all time by one of my favorite speakers of all time. We should play a little Who Dis, but I didn't. Abraham Lincoln, you'd all get that, right? Okay, pretend Abraham Lincoln's up there. Who Dis? Abraham Lincoln. Here's my point, though. Throughout our nation's history, there's been conflict. There's been differing opinions. There's been times that we've been at odds at each other, against each other in various points or ideas or ideals. I could think of a dozen off the top of my head if we were actually having a conversation here over, over lunch or something. But I think we'd maybe all agree that the time this nation was most at odds when people were against each other was during the Civil War. So here's what Lincoln said about claiming that God is on your side or that you're on God's side of things. He said this. He said, as we are engaged... Half a moment here. <clears throat> As we are engaged in this great civil war, each side claims that God is on their side. He continued, he said, one of us has to be wrong. But, he said, there's a greater chance that we're both wrong. I want you to think about that for a second. I'm going to tell you what he means here in a second. As we are engaged in this great civil war, each side claims that God is on their side. One of us has to be wrong. He said, there's a good chance that we're both wrong. 
How can that be? Well, my point in all of that is this. If you're claiming to do God's will while you're turning our nation against God, then you're not doing God's will. Let me say this again. If you're claiming to do God's will while turning our nation against God, you are not doing God's will. Look at Galatians 5.13 again. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but what? Serve each other through love. Serve each other through love. So what's the Bible say about love? Nah, not much, right? I was kidding. 1 Peter 4.8, how about? Above all, show sincere love to each other because love brings about the forgiveness of many sins. 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, show sincere love to each other because love brings about the forgiveness of many sins. And you're thinking right now that love will help me forgive other people's sins, right? Well, how about we flip that around? What about us? What about your sins being forgiven? Because I'll say it again, if you're claiming to do God's will while turning people against God, you are not doing God's will. So how do we tie it all together? Third idea is the practice of your freedom. How does it play out in your everyday life? How do we apply God's word to our lives and be different people? being transformed by the renewing of our minds. 1 Peter 2.16 says this, Live like free people, but don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Live as those who are serving God. Live as those who are serving God. How do we serve God? By bringing people to Him, not pushing people away from Him. So now you might be asking, how should I live? How should I act? How should I carry myself always? Different verse from Ephesians that's a lot more gentle than that verse from 17. 4.1 says this, So as a prisoner of the Lord, this is where Paul says, I beg you to live the way God's people should live because he chose you to be his. I beg you to live the way God's people should live. How should we live as an example for other people? As an example to Christ. Why does he say this? Because how, how followers of Christ, listen to this, how followers of Christ act, how followers of Christ carry themselves matters. What followers of Christ say matters. How they say it matters. When I say it matters, I mean it makes a difference, good or bad. Let me tell you what I mean here. So I spent some 24 years um, playing in military bands. I started my Air Force career at Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. And when I got there, my leadership took me aside, sat me down in a room. We were talking about a lot of things. One of the things they really hit, one of the things they really wanted me to take away from that conversation was they explained that our conduct uh, was very important uh, because we as band members, we would travel to all different towns and cities and places just like this, like in the pack. We would play concerts in places like this. And their point was this. 
oftentimes we were the only military members that these people would ever see. So they would get an impression of military people based on us, based on our actions, based on what we did, the things we said, and how we said them. Then when I went overseas, it got ramped up like 10 more times because not only would we go to these small towns in Japan and they'd be the, we'd be the only military members they would see, but we would also be the only Americans these people would probably ever see. So our actions mattered. What we did mattered. How we said things mattered because we were going to give them an impression of military people and Americans at the same time. We were there to represent. We were ambassadors. That's what we called ourselves, the jazz ambassadors. Or Glenn Miller never hurt anybody. You see where I'm going with this, right? There's a couple of quotes. I think um, Jeff Shulo put one of these up a couple of weeks ago, but um, I'm going to copy. I'm pretty sure one of these went up. We uh, attribute this first one to uh, William Toms, who says this, Be careful how you live. You will be the only people, or the only Bible some people will ever read. Be careful how you live. What did Paul say? He said, I beg you to live the way God's people should live. Why? Because you might be the only Bible some people ever read. Be careful how you act when we're in all these small little towns. Why? Because you might be the only American these people ever see. You might be the only military member. You might be the only follower of Christ these people ever see. And then right behind it is this. Careful how you act because you may be the only Jesus some people ever see. If you're claiming to do God's will, turning our nation against him, you're not doing God's will. True liberty is described like this. Living as we should, not as we please. Our actions in freedom matter. Now, let's go out and make a difference in the world. Amen? Would you please stand with me? And if you would, please.